0: Edwin Murray, a brilliant engineer who had made many things in the past, like a vacuum cleaner with googly eyes and hands and a whole gang of trash robots. He had been working with the ever-growing Fazbear Entertainment for a year and a half at this point, and so he barely had any time for any of his own unique ideas anymore. Fazbear Entertainment bought out his company as they were preparing to launch a new Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria franchise from the success of Fredbear's Family Diner and Edwin felt lucky that he got that opportunity because Freddy's went on to explode in popularity alongside Fredbear's. But while preparing a chica ahead, his mind raced with ideas like it often does, mostly about a single recurring idea that he should create something that can occupy David, his son he loves with all of his heart while he works he often thinks how all of this would have been a lot easier if fiona was still around if she didn't unfortunately pass away giving birth but he knew that he was capable of building something for him that would entertain him and make him a lot happier even more happy than he was with his white tiger plush he was sure of it david is the physical manifestation of what happens when he and fiona were together and so to him making david happy meant more than just being a good father it meant making her proud so one night he began turning this idea into reality. Although becoming three weeks behind in his projects for Phasma Entertainment, his creation went from spark to completion in no time. He finished the torso, the arms and the head of a primitive looking endoskeleton that he knew would reach his ambitions. He had basically finished the legless robot but had to create a computer for it, so he took some of the hardware of his old abandoned projects and retrofitted the parts for it. Edwin wanted to create a thinking mind that would learn by mimicking what it observed. It was Edwin's observations of how the white tiger bed he built for David mimicked David's favourite white tiger toy that had given him the idea. Thinking about the concept of mimicking so soon after casually contemplating having a robot to entertain his child had brought the whole idea together. So he wrote what he would later call the Mimic 1 code, using a mix of Pascal and C, very quickly. Which meant that after only 22 days, the end of the project had arrived and only one thing remained. David trotted over to Edwin while telling him that he smells. And Edwin scoffs, ignoring the comment, saying, check this out. David watches as Edwin sets the Mimic on the floor in front of them, wondering what its name is, to which Edwin calls it Mimic. David asks him what it does, and Edwin replies, well, let's find out. Edwin carefully reaches behind the Mimic's neck, reaching for and then pressing in the button that activates the machine. Boom! Its eyes light up, flickering on and off rapidly while its mouth swings open and closes again. Eventually, the eyes remain lit and David leans forward to look at the machine. Then, the Mimic also leans forward, slightly frightening David backwards while he giggles and hugs his tiger plush tightly, which the Mimic then copies with an imaginary tiger. He's copying me, Daddy, a simple phrase that meant the world to Edwin. David put out a finger and touched Mimic's chest which it of course mimics. David then tries to play patty cake with it, which it then also mimics, to the best of its ability. Edwin closes his eyes and rolls his shoulders with a deep breath. He did it. He could start working on Fazbear projects again and get back on track. Edwin suggests to David that they take the Mimic upstairs so that they can play while he takes a shower. David agrees quickly, holding his nose while commenting again that Edwin stinks. Even Mimic agrees, he continues, as Edwin turns to see the Mimic also holding its nose. The next two weeks were the best weeks that Edwin had ever had since Fiona died seeing his son create a type of sign language to communicate with this robotic mimicking friend, and also coming up with different motions such as wanting ice cream, for example. While Edwin, on the other hand, was back at work on Fazbear-related projects, such as repairing Chica and working on Foxy's programming. He really needed to get back on track quickly. David helps create a makeshift tiger for the mimic since its arm is always curved because David is always holding the tiger. The two color with crayons, play catch with a red rubber ball, and eventually go and hide in costumes a yellow dog and a green alligator, not knowing that these were costumes sent by Fazbear's. When Edwin quickly notices them inside the costumes and making them dirty, he gets angry at David and yells at them to get out quickly. He tells them to just go and play quietly while he continues working, and so they do for another 30 minutes or so until David gets hungry. He goes to Edwin, who was in the midst of a tricky soldering job, and asks him for food, poking his forearm which makes his hands slip, and the soldering blotches in the wrong place. Edwin gets angry, yelling at David that he now has to redo it and it's his fault. David quickly looks to his feet and apologizes and after a deep breath, Edwin also apologizes, asking for them to just please play quietly for a little longer while he finishes up. Later, David would go to bed, and, like he's often done, Edwin goes and takes the opportunity to tinker with Mimic's programming and machinery to make its movements more fluid and improve it in any way that he can, going to bed after he feels happy with it. Edwin only gets two hours of sleep until suddenly being awoken by David jumping up and down, wanting to play catch. David excitedly goes downstairs to wait for him to wake up properly, and Edwin slowly does. David, breakfast, he later exclaims, to surprisingly no response. David, he yells as he begins to search for him. David, he yells once again as he noticed the factory's main double doors were wide open, running outside quickly to notice David chasing after his red ball that was bouncing and rolling towards a busy road. David, with a grin on his face and a giggle he let out, focused on the red ball, unknowing to the oncoming white van. The next 10 seconds played out as any normal 10 seconds would one second at a time. For Edwin however, the 10 seconds compacted into an expanded infinite experience of horror that at once happened instantaneously and also went on forever. Edwin could no longer process what he was seeing and his mind shut down, leaving only his senses. Edwin tried to convince himself that what he just watched hadn't happened. He tried to tell himself that David was fine, but he knew that he was lying to himself. As he flew towards his son, Edwin knew that he was running both towards something he'd never reach and away from something he'd never escape. Call 911, someone screamed. Edwin reached David and tried to hold him. Don't move him, a man said while holding Edwin back as he fights to free himself. Everything lost focus. The next two weeks went by in a blur. Edwin nearly forgot what he needed to eat, drink and simply exist exist. And often too. Edwin had grown a full beard, forgetting to shave as well as forgetting he's been working on merging an endoskeleton with the Bonnie costume to make it into the full animatronic. He didn't remember doing it, but he has nothing else to do besides work on it, so he sighs and slowly brings himself to continuous work. However, Mimic, who he hadn't deactivated since David's death, gets up on the table, clutching his makeshift tiger. Don't you have something better to do than to stare at me? Edwin asks Mimic. It then puts the makeshift tiger down and begins mimicking David's motion for wanting ice cream. Edwin looks at it for a moment before seeing pure red. He gets up from his rolling chair and reaches for metal, lifting it up and bringing it down on the Mimic, again and again. He could almost feel his murderous thoughts pouring through his muscles and transfusing through the metal into mimic systems. Edwin continued to hit it over and over. Edwin eventually collapsed to the ground, staring at the mimic also on the ground, arms bent in one last tragic copy of Edwin's little boy. Dominic opened the double doors as Harry and Glenn followed closely. The factory was abandoned at this point as Edwin had gone missing months ago after breaching his contract with Fazbear's, and the three were there with the vague instructions of get in there, clean up the mess, make repairs, get it handled. The place smelt of rotten food, and after searching around the place they find a Fazbear branded satchel identical to their own, containing a tape player that explains to them what Team A, the first team sent to do the same job last month, had done. the progress they were making, including giving this seemingly functioning mimic legs reused from the other non-functional animatronics. The tape player stops and they continue exploring the building to find the source of the disgusting smell. The smell went off in many directions, but one direction led them to a refrigerator door. Glenn decides to open it, only to see a body forced inside. They don't say much in pure disgust, but Dominic and Glenn quickly decide to go upstairs to see if there was a body inside of the closet, which also had a similar stench coming from it, leaving Harry on the last step since he looked like he was about to throw up everywhere. The two turn the light on inside the closet and find another dead body, this one hanging amongst the clothing. They begin to wonder whether it may have been the previous team, only to be interrupted by Harry screaming. They rush back downstairs, seeing a bright pink and yellow-green court jester costume pulling Harry's brain out of his skull, this costume containing the mimic inside, still tragically mimicking David's actions of hopping inside the costumes. The two quickly run away and hide in the factory where they think the machine, not knowing it's the Mimic won't be able to find them. Not just for a few minutes, but for hours and hours. And that was a brilliant idea, because as soon as Glenn moves to try and find something on the work table, a fuchsia in white mushroom costume jumps at her, picking her up and then brutally ramming her into the wall head first. Dominic quickly runs to the third floor, once again hiding from the Mimic. He thought and thought, not moving a single muscle until he came up with a plan. If he gets one of the satchels which had numerous tools inside of it, he could possibly make something to stop the mimic. He slowly makes his way downstairs to get the satchel, and once successfully getting it he runs immediately back up to the third floor. However, before having any time to think, a greyish purple lion costume rises behind him and takes one step towards him, before Dominic quickly lunges towards the stairs to escape, only for his ankle to be caught by the costume mimic which brutally and yes very very brutally pulls his trachea down and then out his chest his heart exploding in his chest he fought for breath but couldn't find it he reached for a coherent thought but he couldn't grab that either instead dominic could do nothing but give into the darkness that mercifully smothered the fiery torment ripping him open from the inside out Fazbear Entertainment were eventually able to acquire the Mimic from the factory, giving it a new shiny head, dubbing this version of it with the new legs and head Mimic Model 2. Why would they need to name its design model though? Well, they decide to create a whole line of Model 2 Mimics who are all connected to the Mimic 1 code's overall program. All of these Mimics would be stored across all of Fazbear Entertainment's locations, such as their current success, Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. The Mimics would observe the animatronics, their personalities and their movements, to be able to quickly recreate them in the case of malfunctions, replacing, repairing or anything of the sorts. Basically storing a copy, ready to paste at a moment's notice. However, one One day at a birthday party at Freddy's, one of the animatronics, a random yellow rabbit with purple attributes did something weird. The Mimic watches as it starts to join the kids' activities, eventually leaving a boy named Fritz away from the party, then a boy named Gabriel, a girl named Susie, a boy named Cassidy, and a boy named Jeremy. It very easily and simply lured them away one by one until all five were gone. However, after the lights turned off and the location shut for the night, the children appeared again. This time, though, they were running throughout the location. What were they doing? Mimic watched as Cassidy hid in front of it but behind a pile of chairs. It then watched as the yellow rabbit danced around, looking for and then killing each kid upon finding them. It was a twisted game of hide and seek. The Yellow Rabbit found Susie first, then Jeremy, Gabriel, then Fritz. The mimic then watched as the rabbit came towards it and therefore found Cassidy, lifting him up and killing him more brutally than the others, similar to the way Edwin once dealt with It. It watched the Yellow Rabbit hum a tune while it put one of the bodies inside Chica, one inside Bonnie, one inside Freddy, one inside Foxy, and the final body was mysteriously taken into the back room where it came from. Fazbear Entertainment as a whole felt good, mainly because money was pouring in ridiculously fast. However, over the next few days, things started to go downhill very, very quickly. Suddenly, police were investigating the entire building for the five missing children, unable to find them. The animatronics began malfunctioning every now and then, along with quite a disgusting smell coming from them. Even the mimics were acting strangely, trying to pick up children and take them away from the party, being quickly deactivated. And the customers decreased month after month, and by the end of the year, Freddy Fazbear's Pizza itself fully closed down. Throughout the next couple of years, Fazbear Entertainment had scrapped all of the mimics besides the original. They were building themselves up again, planning to open up a new and improved Freddy Fazbear's Pizza in 1987, with a brand new range of -of state-of-the-art animatronics. They realized, however, that they should continue to at least gather the animatronic data just in case they might need it one day. So they decide to put the Mimic 1 program into the camera systems in order to do so, while not physically being able to do anything and therefore not be a risk, as the Prime Mimic robot will remain deactivated. Unfortunately, during its first few days of being open, the Yellow Rabbit came back, luring another five children away from their party into the back room. At night, a security guard named Dave Miller, an Elias of William Afton, the wearer of the Yellow Rabbit costume, plays another murderous game of hide-and-seek. This time he's just having fun, not even hiding the bodies immediately until he finds them all. And after he does, he simply takes his sweet time and easily cleans up his mess afterwards. He feels quite confident that he would be able to do this again, but when the new toy animatronics start acting aggressive towards him after their possession, he quickly decides to from the night shift to the day shift instead but he can't stay still as when investigations start happening for the new set of missing kids he quickly goes on the run and missing from the public eye needing to be replaced by the current night guard Jeremy Fitzgerald. William feels good, once again the bodies are hidden away and so once again he gets away. For all the police department knows, William Afton hasn't done anything noticeable for the past few years and this Dave Miller guy is some new mysterious fellow who disappeared as fast as he arrived. William feels more powerful than ever, waiting patiently to see what Fazbear Entertainment do next while he works as a simple, innocent career counsellor to simply Generally earn money to live. Eventually, believe it or not, William or his nickname he often used, Bill, actually meets someone, a woman who reminds him of his old wife and so the two eventually talk for a while and get together, eventually marrying very soon and going on to have a child that they named Vanessa Afton. Unfortunately though, as you could probably expect, William wasn't a great father at all. He abuses Vanessa as she grows up, much like he used to abuse his first daughter Elizabeth, and he manipulates her in any way that he can. The manipulation even goes far enough that when her mother divorces William due to the abuse and tries to get custody of her, she reluctantly lies for him and against her in court, therefore allowing him to eventually win the case. Do not misinterpret this. William Afton is a sick, twisted, evil person. The whole thing though made William laugh with power afterwards. And once receiving the news that Vanessa's mother unfortunately committed suicide after losing the case, he coldly laughs more. That's it, truly. There's literally nothing that could stop him. He knows that he's a genius. He's the greatest serial killer to ever exist. He's truly powerful. He could feel that power running through his veins. He was right and he knew it for certain. No one could stop him. Unfortunately to him, he missed the opening and closing of a new Freddy Fazbear's pizza with the old four animatronics. And it seemed to be the location that remained as Fazbear Entertainment practically went dark after the closure. William knew exactly what he had to do. A little full circle moment. Going to the abandoned Freddy's and destroying the possessed animatronics. Stealing their remnant, or soul juice for a simple term, and ensuring that they stay trapped in the machines for the rest of, at least his life. Destroying the animatronics would be easy. The animatronics are weak. They won't be able to fight back. So, he decides to put the plan into motion. He travels to the Abandoned Freddy's, sneakily destroys the animatronics one by one, transfers their remnant elsewhere, and truly begins to feel quite literally immortal. After completing the easy task, he goes to gather his old Yellow Rabbit Spring Bonnie suit from the back room. He might have just gotten some motivation for another killing spree, however, upon entering the room and grabbing the suit, he hears a single step behind him, and he quickly turns around. Only to see four ghostly children staring at him he begins to excitedly laugh at them until eventually a fifth appears from behind them and without hesitation goes right towards him vengefully he quickly puts on the spring body suit and laughs at them finished the animatronics into nothingness just as it finished Fazbear Entertainment Incorporated as a corporate entity. Though this isn't the first time Fazbear Entertainment has been quote-unquote ruined or dead or over. If anything, they're at the top of their game. A location opening and closing in March and then in December within the same year? Why stop the pace now? If the founders want to give the brand up, they can go ahead. But a man who prefers to go by simply Mr. Burroughs was perfectly fine with starting a limited liability company up with the same name. He quickly got the rights to the copyright and basically everything up until that point in time. And, alongside a board of directors, started from scratch. However, this wasn't the 80s or the 90s anymore. The world is now online and things spread quickly. There were multiple pieces on platforms like Twitter about how Fazbear Entertainment was an untrustworthy and sketchy company. So the board agreed that the first thing they needed to do was damage control. More so, dispute the rumors and myths of Fazbear's past so they can truly start from scratch. So they searched the internet for an indie game developer who could possibly create a video game series based on said accusations. Eventually, one of the board members named Mr. Edwards land on someone named Steve Snodgrass a video game designer currently down on his luck and working as a janitor. He thought that Steve might be perfect for this job as not only is he small enough that no one would suspect that he was paid to make the games, nor have many friends or family that would even notice if he went missing somehow, but he had also created a game in the past called Chip Off The Old Block alongside a sequel Chipper and Sons Lumber Co, which both got multiple comments about how creepy the characters looked. It was perfect, he could just say that his past stuff wasn't working out, so he just transfer genres to horror. After some hiccups, they eventually get Steve on board and over time he creates and publishes three different games. Five Nights at Freddy's, or FNAF for short, FNAF 2 and FNAF 3. He began to work on a fourth, but do remember that Fazbear Entertainment isn't a nice friendly company, not at all. So the entire time they've been making sure that Steve is sleep deprived and clearly mentally unstable, as well as using multiple illusionary technologies to trick him into a fake life, which ends up inevitably, unfortunately, causing his death. Yeah, uh, well they don't really care too much honestly because now they have the perfect opportunity to begin step two of their plan, create a game parroting those games in order to get the company back into a healthy light in the public's perception but also begin to earn revenue again. They partner with a company named Silver Parasol Games and the development on what they call the Fazbear Entertainment Virtual Experience begins while in the background they keep creating fake games under Steve's name with the Circus Baby characters, Pizza Place characters, etc. During development, Phasma Entertainment gave Silver Parasol Games a box full of circuit boards from the old Mimic animatronics that contains all of those same performances and personalities from the past locations, and they tell the team to scan them all into the virtual experience to speed up the development process. They do so, and the Mimic 1 code works perfectly. Toy Freddy worked and moved exactly like the real Toy Freddy from 1987, Foxy worked and moved exactly like the real Foxy from 1993, and so on. However, the coat seemed to take hold by itself. Something else was inside of it. A girl will give the Elias of Tape Girl begins documenting these events. Noting that a friend and QA tester, Jeremy, started to talk about a weird anomaly within the game that needed fixing. Tape Girl and the rest of the development team saw this as a challenge and tried to find and then fix the anomaly. It was simply just a glitch in the code, right? To them it was, but to Jeremy, it was something else. He came into the office one day complaining about nightmares of the anomaly and spent hours and hours talking to the manager about it, only to return back to the testing room and continue going through the game he wouldn't even jump anymore, he would just stand there like he was talking to someone. Tape Girl continued to make note of everything, especially as she herself had begun being prepared to be the next tester, which she became sooner than she thought she would, as unfortunately the next day, when Jeremy went back into the testing room, he used a guillotine paper slicer to slice his face right off and escape whatever horrors he was witnessing. Tape Girl is told that she has three days to finish Jeremy's work, and so she begins doing just that while also trying to find and isolate the anomaly. Apparently, another development studio is going to pick up the project from here, so she needs to hurry. She eventually finds it while playing through the FNAF 1 levels, and she can't make out who it was meant to be. She didn't recognize the character. It eventually makes its way to the door windows, looking through and watching everything she was doing. Not like Chica or Bonnie would do for the spooky game gameplay, no, it was actually watching. She made note of it and continued playtesting the game. On her final day, she realises that she hasn't seen it recently, and eventually figures out that it somehow attached itself to her development logs. So she tries to delete the logs, but she's unable to. She then breaks all of the logs into pieces, effectively breaking the anomaly into pieces too, rendering it incapable of doing anything. She makes one more log, telling whoever hears it to make sure that the logs stay separate and disassembled. And unfortunately, that's all she could do in time as the project moves on to the next development studio. Vanessa, now 23 and coincidentally working at the second development studio, begins testing and playing through the game. She was heavily interested in this project, mostly because with everything Fazbear related coming back into the limelight over the past couple years, she had learnt of what her father did, who he truly was. While Everyone else wondered if they were truly just myths, cover-up, etc. She had seen that horrible side of him in the past. She knew it was all true, immediately. As she begins testing the game, she begins noticing these weird tapes left all over the place, and she listens to the first one, telling her to collect all of the development logs and assemble them together in one place. However, upon collecting the fifteenth tape, she notices something weird. The first tape tells her to go searching for the other logs and put them in order, while the 15th tape tells her to hide all traces of the logs and basically keep them separated. Vanessa finds this odd, but remembers that Tape Girl mentioned the tapes aren't in order, so it's possible she just changed her mind, especially considering this tape starts with hello, you don't know me, which definitely seems like something to say in the first tape. So she continues to search for, and then finds, the final tape. Tape Girl instructs Vanessa on how to kill the anomaly by letting it approach her and begin to merge with her, then flipping a few simple switches to crash the game and flush the memory, in turn flushing it out the game. So Vanessa waits patiently to encounter the anomaly for the first and hopefully last time. Suddenly the lights flicker and the room turns green, her vision blurring for a moment until she sees it, the anomaly. The way Tape Girl described it was this mysterious character that she didn't recognize and couldn't find anywhere else. But Vanessa recognized it immediately, of course she would. The yellow rabbit with a giant grin on its face looms over Vanessa. (laughs) She may have believed everything her father had done in the past, and all the supernatural stuff surrounding the Fazbear brand, but this? Was her father truly capable of making his way back to life? Was he really back? A little excitement, a little hesitation. Vanessa remembers the horrors that he put her through, and how she felt when he disappeared is exactly how she feels now. A little relief a little sadness, an overall emotional confusion. What should she do? Should she still kill it? Should she help it? Despite the decision unknowingly to her, not mattering, she couldn't do anything. She couldn't move. She just looked at her father. William reaches out to her, offering his hand. Vanessa watches as the colors around her blend and blur, flickering and passing around her sight. Her mind paused and her muscles froze. She just watched. She stares at him, her mind blank, unable to comprehend the psychedelic-esque experience that she's seeing unfold right in front of her. All she can do is watch. If only she knew that her father was still gone and what she just saw was only a mimic of him. Simply just the next costume that the mimic used, breaking down her defenses and allowing it to infest her brain and manipulate her whenever it requires. A simple new subroutine for the Mimic One code. The next day felt strange for Vanessa. She felt wrong. She didn't know why or how, but she just felt fake. She would see things, eyes watching over her, rabbits in places she's never noticed before. She felt watched, she felt followed. Everything felt wrong, for. Her. She had control over her body, but her mind would tell her things, mask. She didn't know what was happening. Her thoughts have never been so twisted and just, Evil. Before she knew it, Fazbear Entertainment had released a virtual experience to the public and eventually began a fun time delivery service with their positive momentum, as well as announcing a mall would be opening next year Freddy Fazbear's Mega Pizzaplex. For Vanessa, time was moving both slowly and insanely fast at once. Suddenly, it was Halloween, and she had created a mask, specifically a white rabbit mask, going on to eventually create a full costume of the character she'd proclaimed Vanny, adding a purple bow tie to mimic her father's spring bonnie the mimic was truly changing vanessa's entire mindset making her reluctantly follow in her father's footsteps and continuing her father's twisted legacy by Christmas time, the Pizzaplex construction was well underway. They had the perfect company doing it, Fazbear Construction. That's right, while preparing for opening the mall, Fazbear Entertainment began creating a bunch of subsidiaries to their company such as Fazbear Clean Team, Freddy Water Company, Helpy Hand Medical, etc. They weren't letting anything operate inside their business besides themselves. They were building on top of the latest abandoned location, Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Place, meaning they practically buried the whole location. Planning to turn it into a museum of sorts. There was only one exit for fresh air down there, and a construction worker named Gil went outside to see a big delivery truck arrive with a shipment of -of state-of-the-art animatronics. Another worker named Theo signs the delivery papers and examines the new animatronics, noticing the new animatronics with a random, out-of-place, and rusty animatronic. Unknowingly to them, it's the original Mimic. Gil takes it down to the old pizzeria and syncs the Mimic to his laptop, uploading a cleanup protocol into its code. He then instructs the Mimic to break the limbs and heads off the old animatronic electronic endoskeletons that they had with them that were left inside the old pizzeria and pile them up by the exit door. It mimics exactly what he says right back to him and then begins doing the task successfully, breaking the old endos with ease. However, after breaking the limbs and heads off of four endos, it grabs onto Gil and rips his arms off his legs off, and finally his head off. The mimic then turns to the rest of them and completes the task with everyone down there. Only one of the workers named Danny, gets out of the old pizzeria, slamming the door shut and running to a cement worker. Seal it, he yells, seal the door again. Seal it. Despite being eventually sealed off, this would not be the end of the Mimic's pizza place massacre. As 2025 goes by and a group of kids decide to go looking around the old pizzeria's construction site, just to investigate. After finding a vent in the roof and a chute leading down there, they all, stupidly, slide down and enter the building, quickly finding the dead bodies of the employees stacked and piled up, and they realize that they were not alone, as one by one, the mimic's kill count rises higher and higher, it also attempting to replicate William's murderous game of hide and seek with a group of kids. Eventually, there was only one left, Lucia, who was cleverly able to get the mimic inside a court jester springlock suit, causing the spring locks to activate and trap it inside. She takes this opportunity and quickly deactivates the mimic with the switch on the back of its head. The mimic was finally shut down and she could finally work on escaping, searching for and pounding on a spot with less concrete than everywhere else for hours and hours until she could finally get through and run out the building, running into a construction worker and finally being free, leaving the mimic deactivated. Finally, Freddy Fazbear's Mega Pizzaplex opens up to the public. Currently, the Pizzaplex is actually shaped in a circle and includes a brand new set of animatronics called the Glamrocks. Based off of the main four, Freddy, Bonnie, Chica, who originally sported a more original yellow look than her later more time esque look, as well as originally actually having a cupcake alongside her, and Foxy, and even a giant version of Music Man, now turned DJ, as well as a new version of Ballora. Not only that, but they had brand new members joining the cast too, such as Roxanne Woof, or Roxy for short, Montgomery Gator, or Monty for short, and the Daycare Attendant. Everyone had their own corners of the Pizzaplex, Glamrock Freddy with Fazer Blast, Glamrock Bonnie with Bonnie Ball, Glamrock Chica with Mazer Size, Glamrock Foxy with Foxy's Log Ride, DJ Music Man with the Fascade, Ballora with Ballora's Fitness and Flex, Roxy with Roxy's Raceway, Monty with Monty Golf and finally the daycare attendant with a superstar daycare. They had a ton of attractions, even more than I just mentioned, animatronics, and of course, merch. This wouldn't be where the Pizzaplex would stop either, as through the years they were continuously building new attractions, taking down old ones, and making the Mega Pizzaplex the biggest and most successful location in Fazbear's entire history. Before we continue though, we need to talk about one very important attraction. The massive return of Freddy's also meant the return of Edwin Murray after more than 40 years. He had joined the board of directors which consisted of four women and four men, the most important being board chairman Mr. Burrows. Mr. Burrows is disappointed to learn that the Pizzaplex isn't exactly making biggest success money and he suggests to the board that they need to downsize their creative development team to save some profit. Edwin stands against this, stating that the creative team is what's kept the Pizzaplex successful thus far behind the scenes, and the two argue. Another board member, Mr. Burton, suggests that they automate the creative process, that they can easily replace most, if not all, of their creative team with a single computer. Mr. Burroughs suggests calling the machine the storyteller, and unfortunately for Edwin, who rightfully despises the suggestion, everyone else on the board agrees. And to stop Edwin's protests, Mr. Burrows decides to make him a consultant on the project. He continues that they shouldn't have to hire anyone new for this and just take some of the text from other projects to create it all cheaply. They decide to have the storyteller machine reside in a huge fake tree in the centre of the Pizzaplex's atrium, a Bulbab tree specifically, Edwin's suggestion. The plan is for the storyteller to connect to literally every venue in the Pizzaplex and basically have control over everything, giving instructions for the animatronics and electronics. While the plan is put into motion, Edwin isn't allowed to enter the storyteller and see the inside of it, so he decides to sneak into the pizzaplex to possibly see it, only to see three men carrying a large animatronic tiger head into the tree, the tiger reminding him of David and his favourite tiger plush. This causes Edwin to immediately start overthinking everything, and he quickly confronts Mr Burrows the next day on what program is being used to create the storyteller's stories. Mr. Burrows claims that it's a simple template style program that takes pieces of previously created stories and rearranges them into new scenarios for VR, AR, and arcade games. This doesn't calm Edwin's worries and he decides that he needs to get a look at the storyteller's programming himself, unfortunately failing to do so by the time that the storyteller is put online. Since no one else was concerned, Edwin took it upon himself to monitor the attractions and animatronics and look for any negative effects that the storyteller might have on them. He notices that Roxanne Wolf's teasing has turned cruel, Glamrock Chica going from her loving persona to having aggressive tendencies and having an obsession for attention, her cupcake also becoming more aggressive. And even Monty, who only used to be dramatic and harmless, became extremely violent with his tantrums and slipped into a depressive silence after each one. Edwin knows he needs to get into the storyteller tree and figure out what's going on and how he can fix it. And he does eventually get inside and notices that the program behind the Storyteller is none other than the Mimic One program. His worst fears were confirmed. No wonder the animatronics were changing. No wonder problems were cropping up all over the place it was happening again and he had no idea what to do about it. Over the next five nights, Edwin continues to visit the storyteller while Mr. Burrows has to leave a regatta due to the new problems arising in the Pizza plex. He's told that the problems are most likely coming from the storyteller, but he disagrees and claims that it's Edwin's fault. He discovers how Edwin has been sneaking in, and so he gets a control pad installed. So, the next time that Edwin enters the storyteller tree, Mr. Burrows locks him inside of it. There was no oxygen inside, and due to the tree now being closed off to the public, Mr. Burrows couldn't even see inside. However, he would tell himself that he did the best thing for the company, and that this is needed to keep Phasma Entertainment on track. Then, a whole week passes, and Mr. Burrows finally decides to find out why Edwin wasn't even trying to escape suspecting that Edwin's somehow been getting in and out without alerting him. So he enters the room to find the truth. To his surprise, the wall is covered in construction paper, covered with odd stick drawings, strange symbols that were not at all familiar to Mr. Burrows, squiggles, squares, loops, triangles within triangles, etc. It all seemed to be nonsensical craziness from Edwin and written over the top of all of this on nearly every sheet of construction paper were two words. I'm sorry. He then notices that he was wrong. Edwin wasn't sneaking in and out at all. He was dead. Quickly, Mr. Burrows tried to leave. However, the scanner wasn't working. Karma had struck Mr. Burrows. Now trapped inside the storyteller tree, despite his attempts at escaping, he tries to enter his password into the storyteller's control keypad. It's wrong? No, how? He screams for help, hoping that maybe, just maybe someone would come to his help. Someone, right? Unfortunately, the Storyteller Tree gets taken down sometime later due to its glitches spreading throughout the pizza blocks. With it, two men who clashed and prayed for distance but ultimately fell to the same fate were taken away. Edwin was a man who quite honestly regretted his entire life after realising that the mimic has returned and will possibly never be defeated. He regrets every decision he's ever made, besides marrying Fiona and creating David. As he took his last breath, he only hoped that he would be able to see them again soon. The Pizzaplex felt cold as the tree was removed and as the Mimics kill count rose higher yet again. This was all quite a hit to Fazbear Entertainment. Their main chairman and one of the directors both gone just like that. That wasn't all either, as due to the glitch in the system and the violence that was injected through Monty's wiring, Monty had another tantrum, one that resulted in the complete destruction of Glamrock Bunny. Within Monty's dramatic performances, he always looked up to Glamrock Bunny and yearned to take their place when the time was right. And because his programming was kicked the wrong way, he took that goal to a new extreme. The company quickly created a story to explain to the children the replacement, that Monty finally succeeded in his dream and acquired his rightful position in the band alongside the rest of the crew. The storyteller tree being taken down also meant the machine using the Mimic 1 code was obviously now gone too, meaning that the Mimic wasn't fully in control anymore and its spreading throughout the Pizzaplex was basically halted. It needs to somehow get back in, for good this time. So it gets Vanessa to travel to the Pizzaplex often and eventually select the One. Someone who has advanced programming skills and can hack into the systems of the Pizzaplex, and inevitably get it back inside. One day, she notices that the high scores on all of the arcade machines were all demolished to an unreachable degree by the exact same person, someone named GGY. This person must be incredibly smart and is clearly great with machines. So Vanessa thinks GGY might be the one. She hacks one of the machines and makes it so GGY's score was beaten by some random person, and patiently awaits his return. Inevitably, G.G.Y. does return, and despite seemingly only being a teenager, he's able to regain his high score on his first attempt. Not only has he proven to Vanessa once again that he's great with machines, but he also reminded her of the brother that she never had, as he was unfortunately long dead by the time that she was born. Hey, little man. She questions him about his high-score shenanigans, and he happily talks to her about it. After finding out that he's actually incredibly smart and has been growing up with machines all his life, learning to hack into things proficiently, and hoping to grow up to be a programmer, she makes her final decision. She invites him to try a new arcade game that hasn't been shown to the public yet, and is apparently really difficult. GGY, his real name Gregory, loves the challenge, and he happily accepts. Of course I will. How do we get there? The two then go to the arcade machine called Blue, Loon world Hang out here for a while. She leaves him to play through the game, the game that unknowingly to him will change the course of his entire life and was purposefully infected by the mimic. He plays through and quickly notices some weird anomaly within the game. a weird glitch and by the time that he notices something is actually wrong Vanessa hadn’t been having fun recently as she was in and out of control of her own body not remembering specific events or what she had been doing at certain times of the day etc. She really didn't know what was going on, but continued to talk to her therapist, Mary Schneider. During a therapy session, Mary mentions some encrypted conversations that she's been involved in and Vanessa isn't too sure what it's about, but it wouldn't matter how she answered anyways because the next time she returned to therapy, a new therapist, Raylan Lawrence, had replaced Mary. And Like Mary, she begins questioning some of the manipulative messages that she's been getting, and reveals to Vanessa that whoever it is has been hacking into her personal files and has full details about her personal life. And again, like Mary, she does not return for another session afterwards. Unknowingly to Vanessa, Gregory, with Glamrock Freddy, had been taking care of anyone who gets close to figuring out what's really going on with her and covering her tracks properly. It seems that by this point, Vanessa wasn't fully conscious whenever her Vanny side emerged unable to understand what was happening to the therapist despite most likely advising Gregory to do what he was doing and unable to truly understand why she was transferring to the mega Pizzaplex as its main security guard despite having practically no qualifications simply telling another therapist I'm needed somewhere else now she was closer than she probably realized, as the Mimic easily got her into the position by mimicking one of the members of the board, needing her within the Pizzaplex with all the clearances possibly needed for Vanny to enter the upcoming all staff meeting and get rid of literally all of the human staff at the Pizzaplex, replacing all of them with staff bots who mimicked their jobs to absolute perfection to keep the Pizzaplex still running and avoid any public suspicion. Vanessa, Gregory, and most importantly, the Mimic can now do anything they possibly need to without any interruption. One day, a young girl named Cassie enters the Pizzaplex ready for her birthday party. Her father used to work there as a technician, so she had quite a tight attachment to the place and was very eager to have a party there, inviting all of her friends to come. She chose a party package with Roxy as the main entertainer, Roxy being her all-time favourite animatronic and so she and Roxy played around for a while as she continued waiting patiently for her friends. Unfortunately, it turned out that none of her friends had decided to come to her birthday party and so she sorrowfully sat alone, her tears streaming as violently as a river. That's when she was approached by a young boy, Gregory. He helped wipe her tears and then spent the day with her, truly saving her birthday and his actions would become such a core memory for Cassie. The two would become close friends and stay in touch consistently afterwards, visiting the Pizzaplex often, however, she noticed something weird was going on with Gregory every now now and then, like something was getting at him deep inside his bubbly, friendly personality. He forgot things often, and didn't really like talking about his high scores as GGY for some reason. But upon asking him what his favourite game is, he suddenly got very eager to show her, using a hacked party pass he got all the way to the Balloon World arcade machine. Gregory eerily told Cassie to begin playing, so she did. When she would enter the glitchy parts of the game that started to appear, Gregory would seemingly be affected by it. She didn't understand what in the world was going on, but it seemed that this arcade game had a stronger connection to Gregory than just being his favorite. She spent ages on the game, trying to figure out what she's meant to do to help Gregory. Eventually, she figures it out. Getting within the glitchy anomaly itself defeating it from the inside. The machine malfunctions and restarts. Everything is silent for a moment. She turns to Gregory who's looking happy as can be as the game somehow contained his connection to the virus. Therefore, Cassie defeating the glitch meant that she broke said connection. Gregory is now freed from the mimic's control. The two quickly leave their bond now stronger than ever. As the date struck March 9th, 2029, the Pizza Pucks had been open for four years and three quarters. And today, they were ready for another great and huge performance. Glamrock Freddy, Glamrock Chica, Montgomery Gator, and Roxanne Wolfs walked through the underground hallways to the elevator where they were lifted up onto the main stage, beginning the show for their giant audience. However, in the middle of their intro song, Glamrock Freddy looked out to the audience and spotted Gregory. The mimic had given the animatronics a specific instruction to capture Gregory if spotted, as he's classed as a high-level threat now that he's escaped. However, Glamrock Freddy was still in Showtime mode, and so he wasn't able to stop his ongoing Showtime routine in order to go and capture him. Therefore his programming conflicted with itself again and again, causing Glamrock rock Freddy to start glitching out and inevitably crash. At 11:30 p.m., Freddy finally restarts in safe mode. However, he seems to have brought someone with him to his green room as Gregory speaks from inside of his stomach hatch and gets out somehow climbing inside while he was deactivated. They see Vanessa is searching for him, and despite not knowing why, due to him not being conscious when the two were working together as GGY, he doesn't trust her at all. So they plan to get him out through the main doors before they close at midnight. They eventually get to the entrance, but unfortunately it's right as the rolling doors shut. Now stuck inside the pizza plex, he has to avoid being caught by Vanessa, as well as vanny persona, and the other animatronics currently hunting him until the main doors reopen at 6am. Gregory doesn't just sit still however, and during the night he defeats and destroys Chica, Monty, and Roxy, eventually using parts gathered from them to upgrade Freddy in parts and services. Throughout the night he had also encountered weird arcade machines all titled Princess Quest 1, 2, and 3. That all seemed off. He didn't understand why, but they just did. That is, until he found the Balloon World arcade machine again, and he started to remember what happened there. He remembered the last time that he was there, waking up to see Cassie beating the machine and for some reason feeling free. As if beating the arcade machine freed him from something. He thinks to Vanessa and Vanny, how they must be the same person despite having completely opposite personalities, such as Vanessa just putting him in lost and found while Vanny wants to murder him. And he realizes that maybe it's a similar situation to what must have been happening with him. He was aware that he was often falling unconscious and waking up somewhere else. So maybe someone else was taking over during those periods and that's what Cassie freed him from. Everything started to connect as soon as he remembered that he saw the third Princess Quest machine in Vanny's hideout, as if it's important to her. The Princess Quest machines are her version of the Balloon World machine. Maybe, just maybe, if he played it and then beat them all, he could actually free Vanessa. So despite the clock hitting 6 a.m. and him having the choice to finally leave, he turns around and goes on the search to find and then beat the three Princess Quest machines. Successfully beating the third, it crashes entirely. He quickly goes through the vent to discover if the theory was correct, and he's happy to see all the staff bots shutting off and powering down. He quickly detaches Freddy's head from his shattered body in Blast and takes it with him to the front, where he encounters none other than Vanessa, who stands holding open the front door for Gregory, finally freed from the Mimic's manipulation after so, so many years, leaving her Vanny mask behind, the two now both free and able to live their lives, walk away from the Pizzaplex, having some ice cream on a hill as they watch the sun rise together. Vanessa and Gregory both understand how big of a threat the Mimic is to practically everyone. They know that it must never get out the old pizzeria. So they decide to go down to the old pizzeria and discover that the Mimic was now contained in a charging station, underneath the old pizzeria for an unknown reason. It seemed that Vanessa, in her Vanny state, had been down here before and had been repairing the Mimic over time. They knew that it would very likely eventually be able to get out of the station by somehow infecting someone else. Hell, it probably had a pre-planned date for it to open in case of emergency anyways. So they weren't taking any chances and began to map out the rest of the underground, finding the deepest room that they could possibly get to and over time they walled off any entrances slash exits to said room. Then, from the office far across from the Mimic, they carefully monitor everything that happens as they open the charging station and use a bunch of walkie-talkies to successfully lure the Mimic all the way down into the room. Then, with a final walkie-talkie, they close the room off entirely with a concrete wall that falls as soon as the Mimic gets lured inside. The two had successfully trapped it further down. To ensure that no one else even came close to getting down there and freeing it, they create a program called MEXUS, standing for Mechanical Xenogenetic Entrapment System. That is basically a giant security system that connects all around the Pizzaplex and upon anyone messing with it, spawns a creature that will immediately contact one of the animatronics to come and take care of them. The two install the MEXUS machine down there, while the Mimic reaches for them from outside the vent, causing it to collapse in on itself from its frantic and violent strikes. just can't get out. The two then waste no time and leave as soon as possible, hoping that the Mimic is forever trapped and that the Mexus program will keep it that way. The Pizzaplex is now in complete ruin, people occasionally breaking in and spray painting on the walls after the apparent earthquake, which was actually caused by a supernatural creature, which itself is made up of a tangle of the dead bodies and animatronic parts from the old pizzeria into one giant supernatural blob tunneling around the underground. However, today it receives a returning visitor, Cassie. Cassie had been called to the Pizzaplex by Gregory, who's apparently recently been trapped underneath the Pizzaplex, and she's here to try and free him. She finds a Roxy talkie that Gregory is able to communicate with her with, and he instructs her through the Pizzaplex to get underground. It's not that easy though, as Gregory instructs her to use a vanny mask to shut down the security nodes around the Pizzaplex to clear the path and allow her to travel down without any danger. While attempting to do this, she encounters and has to invade the ruined animatronics. The ruined Glamrock Freddy, still without his head and damage from the staff bots. Ruined Glamrock Chica, now with moldy cheese through her body and missing parts on her left arm. Ruined Roxanne Woof, now with more damage throughout her body. Ruined Montgomery Gator, practically now just his endoskeleton without the shell the Daycare Attendant, who she eventually combines both Sun and Moon into one single character called Eclipse, and finally Lil Music Man, now multiple of them all altered with bunny ears, whiskers, etc. There's also the mexus entity that she needs to avoid that will immediately alert them to her location if she spends way too long inside the Vanny Mask messing with the security. She eventually ventures all the way down to Roxy Raceway, where she unfortunately has to deactivate Roxy, who is the final security node. She really, really doesn't want to do it to her favorite animatronic, but her friendship for Gregory is way too important to her, and she must save him. He would do it for her. She ventures all the way underground to the room containing the mexus machine, where she's instructed by Gregory to turn it off, stopping all the security protocols. She does so, and the mexus entity comes out of the machine, trying to stop her, but now being quickly stopped and deactivated. She then activates a forklift to destroy the concrete, trapping Gregory that successively goes through. She walks through the gap to find him, only for a walkie-talkie to be passed to her. She questions Gregory, only for her to quickly realize that it's not Gregory, it's the Mimic. It tricked her. Roxy stops the Mimic from killing Cassie momentarily as Cassie runs through the gap on the opposite side that was also opened up by the forklift. The real Gregory finally gets through to her walkie-talkie and with Vanessa, they instruct her through the underground to reach an elevator as the Mimic comes through the gap and chases after her. She gets in the elevator and immediately closes it, barely surviving the Mimic's grasp. She goes up as the real Gregory talks her, and explains that the Mimic tricked her to get itself freed. Unfortunately for Cassie, Gregory doesn't want to risk the Mimic escaping, and so... That's not the end however, as the concrete wall now lies destroyed, and the Mimic is now free.